Welcome back. It's the Out of the Box Podcast. I'm Gray Robertson. Tom Canterbury, also here. As always, Tom, hello. How are you? Are you feeling great on this Tuesday as we record the final show before May officially begins? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm feeling good. Um, feel like I haven't seen you in a while. Somebody's been doing, doing TV, and so we, we've been watching the same games, but we haven't been together watching those games. So I know we'll catch up today and then also on our trip over to Athens here in a couple of days. That's so true. You say that. I honestly totally forgot that we have not seen each other in person since last Sunday, which is yes. ridiculous. It's been a, it's been a while. <laughs> well, we've got so much to talk about on the show, and I know that you covered a lot of things on the Out of the Box podcast scoreboard updates. I definitely did, as we did some uh, graphic scoreboard updates this weekend. Things got weird. We will start at the plate, talk about what happened in Tuscaloosa this week, a win against Southern Miss, a sweep against Louisiana. I wouldn't say a complete shock that Alabama swept Louisiana, but I, I think it was surprising to see how certain things played out this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of puts you back in a good frame of mind after losing the series of Florida to come back and I think played really well against a top 15 team like the Raging Cajuns. And I don't think the final score, especially in the first game, really indicated how much Alabama was in control, I thought, of both games for the most part. Montana Faust, especially in game number one, outside of it, just a, a real wonky fifth inning, uh, was an absolute domination of a really good offense. So I was, I was pretty happy with how things uh, turned out for the most part all the way around. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to preview Georgia this weekend. We're going back to Athens, Tom. I just, the smile is plastered on both of our faces. <laughs> it's probably everybody's, if not favorite, one of the favorite towns in all of the SEC. So that's going to be fun. Oh, and the softball is going to be pretty good too. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be in venue <laughs> once again. That's going to be really fun. Later on in the show, we're going to advance to first and talk about the SEC and the official agents of chaos in the southeastern conference that would be missouri tom we needed them to blow up some buildings we needed them to roll in and make arkansas really question things and they did that this weekend and now because of what missouri did this past weekend the sec race is wide open it, it was a possibility of it all but being clinched by right now but after what missouri did this past weekend and south carolina giving us a little bit of help too it's still pretty, it's pretty much up for grabs. Now, Arkansas and Florida are still in the driver's seat. Alabama still needs some help, but uh, the tide's not done yet. We will talk about that as we advance to first. Then we will steal second with Jen Schroeder, and we will get to talk with her about the big series of the week, Washington and UCLA. Also, we're going to chat a lot about Oklahoma. Since we last recorded, they just dismantled Texas Tech, but today having a little bit of an issue with Baylor. So maybe Oklahoma starting to give some teams the blueprint for how to beat them. Of course, as I say that, Jocelyn Allo just absolutely smashed a home run into the basketball arena. But still, of course she did. <laughs> maybe, maybe the blueprint. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I think we still kind of know what the blueprint is. You, you know, it's very rare for you. They're going to be able to hold them down uh, for an entire game. You're just going to have to make it somewhat reasonable and then try to outscore them which georgia was able to do and last tuesday while we we're recording is becoming a thing too we just watched oklahoma while we record softball uh, podcasts uh but just would love for there to be some sort of resistance from the big 12 at all red raiders zero 
So I'm doing the scoreboard updates and I'm looking down. I wonder how close. Oh, it's 20 to nothing. So, so yeah, so you don't, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, just get regular run rules, like eight nothing, not double digits. They shouldn't be scoring three touchdowns on you. You shouldn't get a, the equivalent of being run ruled twice in one <laughs> inning. One oh. inning. 18 runs for Oklahoma in the fourth on Sunday against Texas Tech. I mean, come on. You would think eventually they would just mess up and pop one up, but no. Home runs abound. They don't mess up very often. We're no. still we're still reading the rundown right now. We're gonna <laughs> right, round sorry. third. Yes. And give my new bracketology. Tom, a team from the ACC. Two weeks ago, I think I had them around nine ten. This week they are no longer hosting, or at least no longer a national seed. So that'll be interesting. Plus, we'll talk about some of the buzz about the predetermined sites. We're still waiting. We've been told it would be this week. Rumors are it'll drop Thursday. We still don't really know. <laughs> It'd be fun if, if it is if it does happen Thursday, we might do a podcast on the road, literally. We may be driving and and you know, recording on one of our phones talking about it. That'll be fun. That means you'll be driving because I'll be doing the editing. Right, which, exactly. Yes. Right. That's, that's how that works. <laughs> then we will head home. I finally won a week in SEC Yay! picks. All right. Miracles happen once in a while. <laughs> and we've got off the wall because, you know, I'm, I'm sure we have something. It's not as much as usual, though. So it's true. Good. Credit, uh, credit to the fans for just rolling with a sweep and being happy. So I appreciate that. Went 3-0. and Everyone's cool with it? All right. Everybody's okay? <laughs> All right. All right, let's talk about this week. Alabama beat Southern Miss 6-3. to Final score, eh, you don't love it. How the game played out, you do like it. I mean, I thought Alabama played pretty well. Southern Miss has a sneaky, effective pitching staff. They've got four arms they really trust that are all pretty different with all – similar numbers and decent talent. So I thought Alabama did a fine job in that midweek game. And on the weekend, it was just great to see Alabama get off to a good start. Game one, the four runs in the first inning, capped off by the three-run homer from Lexi Kilfoyle. We've been saying for like years that she's got power. She finally showed it. And it was just a really welcome sight to see her have that hit, especially considering, and again, we weren't together. I was absolutely shocked when I saw her in the lineup. I had mentally prepared to not see Lexi Kilfoyle until Georgia. That was my belief. That was my expectation. That was just what I thought the scenario would be considering that we weren't playing in a conference game this weekend, but apparently healthy enough to hit. And uh, boy, did she on Saturday. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, that we've talked about. Alabama's offense has missed her as much as the pitching rotation and the staff has missed her in the circle. I think that she really is able to solidify the lineup when she's in it as DP. Everybody, it just kind of seems to flow better. Everyone seems to know what their role is in the lineup when Lexi Kilfoyle's there as DP. When she's not, things are a lot, I think are still a little bit in flux with the injuries uh, that Alabama has had. People still maybe try to do things that they're not used to doing or not, not best at, but everyone kind of seems to fall in when Lexi's at the DP. So I think overall, it was just great to see her in at the plate and then to get that home run and part of that four run first inning 
in game number one against Louisiana really kind of set the tone, I think, not just for that game, for the entire weekend. And, of course, a big story in both games, but in particular game one, Montana Fouts. I mean, she's the SEC co-pitcher of the week yet again. I think this is the third time she has been honored with pitcher of the week this year. Uh, Just incredible stuff in the circle, the complete game victory in game one. And all of a sudden, I think – I know this wasn't a conference game, but I think Montana Fouts is really making a case for SEC pitcher of the year. She's kind of backing her way into it with how she has pitched – in the last couple of weeks, especially considering how some of the other contenders have looked in, in recent times. Yeah. I think the other, the other contenders have showed themselves to be mortal and, you know, Montana did that too earlier in the year, I think of the Kentucky game and a couple others where she gave up some big hits, but since really since that second game at Arkansas on Sunday, she has been as good as I've ever seen her during the regular season. And that's something I talked with coach Murphy in our pregame interview about on Sunday was that while she does at times will just throw it past people and just totally blow them away, she is doing a much better job. And that's something that Michelle Smith talked about when we talked to her a few episodes ago was that she's doing a much better job of just locating and moving the pitches and hitting her spots as opposed to just blowing it by people. And, and she becomes almost impossible to hit when she does that. And uh, Nathan Sheehan's uh, our sports information extraordinaire. She, he sent us a stat that once she gets two strikes on a hitter. Those hitters are now hitting under 100 on the year against her. Uh, So she just has that one. If she gets ahead in the count or gets you two strikes, she does such a great job of finishing you off. And that, that is something Alabama is going to need. Again, if Alabama is going to get where they want, Montana Fouts is going to have to be this type of Montana Fouts because the offense is just not going to be overpowering with all the injuries that you had. If they're going to be able to get the hits, you know, some timely hits when you need them, they're going to put up some runs, but they're not just going to, you know, blow people out offensively. So Montana's going to have to be like this in the circle and it's so far so good. Yeah, I we could play the weakest team in the country. I'm sorry, there will be no 18 run innings for Alabama this year. That's just not, no. that's just not the way the team is this season. And I think Alabama has kind of come to terms with that in the last couple of weeks and figured out ways to manufacture runs I can think of two instances this weekend where Alabama scored a run without a hit. And that's just kind of how this offense rolls. They manufacture, they find a way they're not going to win seven, one, but if they win three to one and two of those runs are on a, you know, an error and a sack fly, you'll take it. Absolutely. A sack fly counts just as much as a solo home run does. Yeah, just be, you know, just because the hit isn't there, that doesn't mean the run doesn't count. So, uh, yeah, Alabama's having to manufacture and find ways to get it done. And one thing too, offensively, I thought that was really good in the second game against Louisiana, as we saw the bottom of the order uh, really come through and produce. Game yeah. number one against Louisiana, it, there was a lot of offers there. There were some some you know black holes in the lineup. Game number two, they you know did some really good things. Got on base. Taylor Clark with a bunt base hit. Maddie Morgan with, I think she had one of those sacrifice flies or she got in one of those runs. I can't remember exactly how, but she, she was continuing to, to hit the ball. And even when they're not base hits, they are effective and productive. Uh, so it was great to see the bottom of the lineup and Savannah Wooder, especially on Sunday was outstanding. Yeah. Let's talk about the two best batting averages of the weekend series. That would be Taylor Clark, two for five, a 400 average and Savannah Woodard, two for six, a 333 average. Look, I mean, there are not going to be many weekends where Maddie Morgan, Bailey Hemphill, and 
Kaylee Tao and Alyssa Brown all combine for two hits. But if they do, you're going to need that production from the other part of the order. And I thought it was nice, like you said, to see some other folks really step up. Are all of the offensive issues fixed? No, absolutely not. And I'm not sure the way the season looks and the way the personnel is right now, frankly, they can all be fixed just because some of the issues that you have right now would be resolved if you had Bailey Dowling. And that's just not a possibility. So like we said, Alabama is just going to have to find ways throughout the rest of the season in key situations to keep doing what they've been doing, you know, manufacture, they might not score in bunches, but one or two works just as well. Yeah, I mean, when, when you mentioned all those batters that only had the two hits, like you said, you still have to remember Alabama scored five runs in both games. Again, that's part of just finding ways to score, finding ways to make it happen, especially when it, when often, or when the opponents that have the strategy of we're just not going to pitch to Bailey Hempel. We're going to give her maybe one or two balls to hit, hope she pops one up. And other than that, she's just going to walk a few times and, and we're going to take our chances as, elsewhere. Alabama's got to make other teams pay for that and make mm-hmm. them change that decision. And, you know, if Kaylee Tao and KB sides and those type of players can continuously hit the ball and, and, and apply pressure, maybe they'll have to pitch to Bailey at some point and she'll take advantage of it. Cause I saw a point was made about Bailey not having an RBI since I think the Arkansas series, I think it was her last RBI. Yeah. But part of that is just she's getting nothing to hit. So, I mean, it's what what can you do? <laughs> you just you, you just have to get everybody else has to have to get those RBIs and Kaylee Tao yeah. and Lexi Kilfoyle. And those people have done so. Yeah. I mean, you can't expect Bailey Hempill to try and chase a pitch when she is being essentially intentionally walked in the first inning of the first yeah. game of the weekend. I mean, you see that and you're thinking, oh, well, here we go. I mean, this is just. This is life for him pill right now. I know. And that's frustrating for her. And she's trying not to, not to chase. Cause you know, the worst thing you want to do is when they're wanting to give you a base is to make an out out of it. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, and it, but it's gotta be frustrating. She knows she's two home runs away from tying the Alabama all-time record. Uh, she was on pace to get at least close, if not break the, the RBI record. Now she's definitely got the, the walk record and knowing Bailey, I know she's all about team. And the most important thing is for her to do what the team needs her to do. And that's what she's doing. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about this weekend, Alabama at Georgia, no midweek Tom. So we get to chill a little bit before we hit the road for Athens. I'm very curious about this weekend. Here's what we know about Georgia. This is a good team who is very confusing. All right. This is a team that can beat Oklahoma. And then like 30 minutes later, just get, boat raced by Oklahoma they can get swept at home by Arkansas and then you know beat Oklahoma and then the next weekend look not very competitive in the first two games against Tennessee and almost blow a lead in game three before winning that series I will say shout out to the truth Mary Wilson Avant her mother did follow me and the show on Twitter big fans of Mary Wilson Avant obviously as I've said over the show but I'm very curious to see which Mary Wilson Avant we get because just like going into most of the conference series, I fully expect Alabama to win the game too. I don't trust anyone else in the Georgia pitching staff whatsoever. I, Alabama could throw me out there, and I would feel pretty confident that the Crimson Tide would win that game. I expect, based on what we saw this past weekend, to see Lexi Kilfoyle or Crystal Goodman. I think we will see Lexi Kilfoyle. That is just a me guess. 
games one and three, we should see Fouts versus Avant. And Tom, that should be really fun. Should be. Um, and the the most confusing thing about Georgia and the truth is sometimes she's really good in game one and not very good in game three. Sometimes she's really bad in game one, but then outstanding in game three. Sometimes she's really good in one, but bad in three. She's rarely good in both. Yeah. But overall, it's just you don't know what you're going to get from her. It's almost Georgia has almost reached Kentucky level of I don't know what's happening. And <laughs> it's it's very it, it's very hard to figure out, but you have to assume because this is the way that it goes uh, pretty much everywhere, that Alabama is going to get the best shot. Alabama is going to get the best Georgia that there is. You know, I think maybe especially in game one, they're going to come out uh, as, as fired up as possible to try to get that game one victory. Alabama is going to have to weather that storm and try. Uh, I think, like I said, what happened against uh, Louisiana in game one, you know, jumping out on Georgia early, if at all possible, I think will be uh, very vital. Absolutely. And this is a good Georgia offense, but a very young Georgia offense and a very righty heavy Georgia offense, which is something Montana Fouts has pitched really well against this year. It's mainly been the lefties that have given her issues in conference play. So I think a good matchup for her, but I, I do think, like you said, with MWA and, and kind of the, the truth or Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, however, that would all fit together. I do feel confident Alabama will win the series, but it is about whether or not they have that mental push to get over the hump, get past whatever Georgia throws at them in that one game where it's really tight and get the sweep. Hopefully that lineup that you mentioned will be very chasey on the, uh, on the rise ball. Uh, if that happens early on, I feel really good about Alabama's chances And Montana just needs to continue pitching like she's pitching and, uh, not go out there and just try to throw 75 and, and blow past everyone, be more concerned about locating that pitch and, and movement up and down uh, instead of just blowing it past people, which again, she's done that really well here the last few weeks and uh, just stick with that plan. And I think Alabama will be in good shape. There may be a one, nothing or two, one type game in there because of that. Uh, because again, Avant can, can match Montana pitch for pitch overall. Uh, but I, I think Alabama can find a way maybe where Georgia might not be able to. All right. So we get to the always fun question, Tom, I've already said my pitching rotation thing. What do you think about this weekend? And also with the lineup, I am of the mind that Alabama kind of has it right. I think you stay with the lineup you had this past weekend, because I think where everyone is in the order, I think it is the most optimum offensive lineup to score runs and to put runs up on the board and maybe in bunches if you can find a way to do that. Yeah, I agree. I think this the lineup that we that we saw on Saturday and Sunday against Louisiana is probably the best that you can do right now, uh, unless you start feeling really good about Jenna Johnson's availability uh, to be able to uh, to play an entire game. We saw her for about half a game on against Louisiana with one at bat on Sunday. So if she is available at 100%, I could see putting her in at some place. Uh, but if not, just go with what she did the last Saturday and Sunday, and I think that's your best shot uh, lineup-wise. Pitching rotation, I think I'm with you. You have Fouts on, on Friday and Sunday, and then a combination of Kilfoyle and Goodman on, on Saturday. Again, don't, don't have a specific timetable, but assuming you know seeing her be able to hit this past weekend makes you think that Kilfoyle may be available to pitch here. Uh, this weekend may be a pitch count situation. So I, I think you you kind of go up there knowing you have, you know, a one person for four innings and the other person for three innings type type deal. And then 
uh, kind of go with that. Hopefully that if it's that game too, Alabama scored a lot of runs. So you can kind of play with things if necessary. Absolutely. I feel, I, I just feel very confident about game two. And of course, Knowing that and saying that something crazy will happen, but sure. Well, uh, honestly, if that's yeah. the game, yeah, if that's the game Alabama loses, there are some things that we will discuss on the podcast. <laughs> let's just say. <laughs> All right, Tom, what do you say we put it in play? Who are we? That's the, well, you know, someone who's been putting it in play a lot, and and she lost a hitting streak on a O for O day with two walks and a <laughs> sacrifice fly. Uh, but she has now an on-base streak of 20-plus games. I don't know what the number is exactly. But got to give it up for KB Sides and what she's doing. Now, wait a second. Let's talk logistically about this. Yeah. So a couple weeks ago, Jocelyn Allo had an 0 for 0 day. And that technically allowed her to keep her hitting streak going because she really? didn't have an official at-bat. Yes, Oklahoma and ESPN also kept that hitting streak. So are oh. we? should we give KB still – 10 games. I, how yeah. does that work? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Okay. Technically I, this, she didn't have an at bat. So, I mean, did she true. really play, uh, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, good. Then even better. Uh, yeah. I'm with that, that, that I can get behind. I cannot get behind major league baseball, not giving Madison Bumgarner a no hitter on a predetermined seven inning game. No hitter. I think that should be a no hitter, but that's the story for a different podcast. But for, but in this case, I'm good with that stat. So still a hit, a active hitting streak. And on Bay Street, KB sides, she's on her way to first. Yeah, I mean, I maybe we'll, as soon as he hears this, SID extraordinary Nathan Sheehan is going to shoot us a text saying right. whether that is actually what Alabama will be doing or not. But we're going to say it is, and we're going yeah. to advance to first here on the Out of the Box podcast. Somewhere Nathan Sheehan laughing about us not knowing stats or knowing it really well one way or the other. I don't know. I like to think we're geniuses. Some people like to think we're idiots. It just depends <laughs> on the day. <laughs> as, as long as you're listening, it's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. When we get back, a big weekend in the SEC. I'm an agent of chaos. The Joker, Larissa Anderson. We're going to talk about Missouri and what the Tigers are doing when we get back here on the podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. That is Tom Canterbury. I am Gray Robertson. Tom, it is time to take a look at the SEC standings. And let's let's break down what we're looking at because it looked clear cut. I said after Florida game two, we should all expect to see a conference champion of either Florida or Arkansas. That is no longer necessarily the case it is not as cut and dry as maybe it looked about a week ago if we're again kind of relating this to a movie we're jack we're holding on we haven't frozen to death yet we're holding on and hopefully that rose will just fall off and we can climb on to that piece of (laughs) our armoire or whatever it was to stay alive we're there we have a chance or if Arkansas a, and Florida just want to scoot over, there's room right. for three teams on the door, Tom. It wasn't about the room. It was about the weight. I've always uh, given James Cameron the benefit of the doubt on that one. It wasn't the room. It was the weight. Well, we're not going to do a full geometric breakdown of the Titanic <laughs> scene because just like my heart, this segment will go on. And it's time oh, to take a look nice. at the nice. SEC standings. Arkansas still up top at 17-4. and four. Second place, not ejected, by the way, but the heart will go on. 
if I had the rights, I would play the flute music right now. <laughs> Somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. <laughs> We're already off the rails. All right, sorry, number two. I'm sorry, I apologize. That's, uh, that's <laughs> no. my fault. That's on me. It's perfect. Two in the SEC, Florida 14 and four. A tie for third, Alabama and Missouri. I mean, I really thought Arkansas would win two out of three or sweep Missouri this weekend. And uh, the Tigers would not let it happen. So let's open up a discussion talking about Missouri. Uh, as the great Heath Ledger once said, in the dark night, I'm an agent of chaos. And that is exactly what Missouri looks like right now because they just took two of three at Arkansas. And look who they've got this weekend, Tom. The Florida Gators are coming to Columbia. Larissa with, on, the, on the gift going, and here we go. And she's helping us out. I remember we we talked about this. The seems like the first podcast of this season. We said, "Look at those who Missouri plays at the end of the year, and how mm-hmm. much that could come into effect on who wins the SEC. Even if it's not Missouri, they could help somebody else win the SEC. And Missouri's actually put themselves in a spot where they, you know, some different things have to fall the way that they need to fall for them. But Missouri has a chance to still win this thing if they." are able to get two of three, if not sweep Florida. So it, it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, both of you and I were both pretty high on Missouri, uh, said that they had this chance, had this capability. I was, uh, as you were shocked that they were able to go in and not only beat Arkansas two out of three, I think had a legitimate chance to come back and win that third game too. Yeah. Had, had the bases loaded in the sixth inning and uh, unfortunately for them hit into a double play, but Missouri took advantage of a lot of the mistakes Arkansas made. They kind of went along the blueprint that Alabama showed uh, to be able to beat Arkansas. And and I think that kind of shows the Razorbacks a little bit flawed moving forward uh, into postseason play. We'll see how much uh, it affects them. But Missouri has been very impressive. And I would not be absolutely stunned if they're able to go in and, and get a couple from the Gators. I mean, let's break down further this past weekend. Arkansas with just four hits, four hits combined in the first two games. The Missouri pitching staff had been labeled Susie Allstaff. Larissa had said that to, I think, Jenny Dalton Hill, who had said it on seven innings. It really took off this week. But, I mean, we talked about it a lot, the pitch by committee. That was how they rolled. And they pitched by committee in the first two games and completely shut down Arkansas. Now, it didn't work out super well in game three, but they were able to bring in Lauren Krings, who didn't give up a hit in six and two-thirds of relief this week against Arkansas and, and kind of hold the Razorbacks at bay. I'll tell you what, nothing this weekend really went down like I thought it would. And I think to throw one more wrench in there, Autumn Storms really didn't play. I mean, she came in and got the final two outs in game three, but Courtney Dyfel apparently holding her because of an injury. Sound familiar, Alabama fans? Mm. You know, she came in, got two big outs at the end, but unavailable for most of the weekend. And Mary Half did not look strong without an autumn storms to back her up. I think that's one of the the, the biggest alarm bell that's sounding for Arkansas. Uh, we saw it against Alabama is the Mary Half that was so dominant through the first couple months of the season. I'm not sure where she's gone because she's not in Fayetteville right now. They become a lot more beatable if Mary half is hittable and it seems to be the case right now storms don't know the severity of the injury but bad enough to get her not to have a start in a really in a pretty big series against Missouri here this weekend again Arkansas only has one more conference series and then they're done 
you had a chance if you're the Razorbacks, you're thinking we have, you know, if not a chance to put the seer, put the conference away, give ourselves a really good shot and really good spot if we're able to win this series, but not, it, it wasn't where storms could pitch even with that being the case. So you got to worry about that moving forward. What, what the issue is there, but Missouri was able to, to tee off on half and, and bloom for that matter. Yeah. Mary half a five, six, eight ERA on the weekend, which I mean, like you said, it's just surprising. I, I didn't expect to see that. You know what? Natalie Lugo is killing it right now at Florida. SEC co-pitcher of the week. Leads the SEC in conference play ERA at 1.02. This week against South Carolina, Tom, 12 and two-thirds, nine hits, an earned run, two walks, and nine strikeouts. She did what... I think coaches should never do, which is start a game immediately after a complete game victory. And she held up against South Carolina now, granted against South Carolina, but still Lugo pitching really well, but South Carolina still takes a game in the swamp, which to me is one of the most shocking results we have seen in the SEC this year. In a single game, I think it is the most surprising single game result of the entire year. Uh, especially considering Florida coming off of winning the series against Alabama and then dropping that first one to a team that's at the bottom of the conference. Uh, really surprising. And it did, it, it kept, it kept everybody else kind of in it. Um, I think it, it kind of, it gives a team like Alabama a team like Missouri that hope Florida is still catchable. And yeah, Lugo is pitching extremely well. She's been putting some stuff together in the pitching lab and, and the experiment's been successful. Uh, she, she's got, she's pitching really well, but I still don't know if you can totally just rely on If you can just put your team on her back, like you can a Montana Fouts, but um, it, it's worked so far uh, for Tim Walton. And we'll see what happens here this weekend against a Missouri team that has, has the offense that can definitely uh, put up some runs against you. Do you feel better about South Carolina? I don't think, uh, all their problems are solved because they got a good performance and beat Florida one time. But I, I no longer think they're going to finish last in the league only because, man, Mississippi State's not good. So right. I, think, I think that's had a lot more to do with it. We're going to jump them. We will skip Tennessee, Georgia, come back to that. Let's go yes. to Mississippi State winning a game against Texas A&M 8-1. Like they didn't yeah. win. They, they crushed them. I mean, they took out mm-hmm. all the frustration. Mia Davidson hitting multiple home runs this week. It was good to see the offense kind of put something together, but how'd the series end up? Yeah, 2-1 A&M. I right. was trying to and make it good I for know, Mississippi State. I know. Good job on that one game, but you were playing a team who was probably scuffling as much as anybody in the conference. Uh, it was a good opportunity for you to not just win a game, win a series, and Texas A&M was able to win two out of three. So, again, it was good to see their offense put everything together one time, but their issues are not solved, and I think they're pretty much a lock for that number 13 in the SEC tournament. Let's go back to Tennessee and Georgia. Honestly, Tom, I didn't watch a ton of this series. I know we had that Friday off. I spent most of that time watching Florida, South Carolina, and a couple other games. But Mm. Tennessee, game one, three, one. Game two, crushed it, nine, three. We did say we believed more in the Tennessee backups, quote unquote, over the Georgia backups behind the mm-hmm. ace. Game three got off the walls. Of all things, I never would have expected a high scoring battle between Mary Wilson Avant and Ashley Rogers, but both got chased pretty early. Georgia won it in extras 11 to 8. 
any takeaways at all from this weekend? I feel like, you know, if anything, it kind of hurt Ashley Rogers, SEC Pitcher of the Year resume. Honestly, it was, it, it didn't really illuminate anything for me. Yeah, I think the main thing that that showed, that that series showed, is that you can't really trust either one of these teams. You can trust them to win maybe one game out of a series with, you know, a Rogers or Avant pitching really well. But outside of that, it is a total toss up and maybe even depending on the opponent would be an upset for Georgia or Tennessee to win a second game of the series. So, I mean, if you're Tennessee, I think you're happy you won the series, obviously. For sure. Uh, but, but I think there's, there's some more alarm bells and worrisome that, you know, if, if Tennessee is going to make any noise, Ashley Rogers has to pitch well and can't get chased early. Uh, so I think the fact that, that happened there in game three certainly throws up some red flags. Speaking of series that happened, Ole Miss Auburn. I mean, it went exactly as I expected. The only fun thing about it, Autumn Gillespie hit a home run that I, I literally don't know where it went. Like they panned the camera over. It disappeared. I, yeah. <laughs> no one knows deep, where it went. Deep into the Oxford night. It's landed somewhere in the Grove. I will say not the longest home run Auburn has given up this year. I will still give that to Bailey Hempel. But yeah, that, that was a, a shot. And the one thing I think this series did show us was that, you know, we'd kind of started thinking maybe Auburn had, had kind of turned the corner and, you know, that they had started, you know, putting up some runs for low. But uh, I think that out that talk was kind of shut down with Ole Miss getting them two out of three. The final series we will discuss, LSU sweeping the doubleheader, taking the series over Kentucky. LSU has a lot of losses, Tom, but they have the series advantage over Missouri, series advantage over Tennessee, series advantage over Kentucky. So when we get to bracketology, you're going to see that LSU, even though their overall record is not as gaudy as some other teams, has quite the resume and, you know, could finish strong with a, a helpful series against Arkansas this weekend. The thing with LSU is that they're, they, didn't, they didn't sweep anybody. So, you know, they've got a lot of 2-1 series victories. So there's losses there, but there are a lot of wins. And so, so what you're saying is Kentucky didn't sweep LSU like I thought might happen? No, they didn't even win the series. They went wow. the opposite. They Enigma. went the opposite. Yeah. Right. You see, see, that's what happens I, when I I'm gonna when I go all in on Kentucky, like I know what they're doing. They'll go the exact opposite. So that's why they're the enigmas that they are. But yeah, that, I think I was pretty impressed, especially to get a you know the doubleheader sweep. I think that says that LSU, even though things have been pretty up and down all year long, that instead of having the end of the year swoon that that we're used to seeing, because maybe they've had some of the up and downs early on in the year. It, it may have solidified them and they might be able to be playing their best softball at the end of the year, which, you know, could help Alabama depending on how LSU does here against Arkansas. Yeah. And a quick note on Kentucky, you know, I think Kayla Kowalik should be your SEC player of the year. Beyond that, I don't trust that team as far as I can throw the entire team like there. It just, no, I don't trust the pitching staff. I don't trust any of them to do anything. And I think, I don't know what we're going to see from Kentucky when we finally get into the postseason. If the Kentucky that we saw play Alabama showed up every week, they could win the conference. They could win the but, national title. I mean, that right. is that's a that's a top six team. Sure, but that team doesn't show up very often. We we see the other team a whole lot more 
which is it's very frustrating to watch them. If I was a Kentucky fan, I, I would I would have less hair than I have right now, which is impossible. <laughs> so it's uh, it I don't I don't really know. I still in a shocking development. I don't know anything about Kentucky. I still don't know what's going on there. But the fact that LSU was able to win those two games back to back, I think shows, as I said, that LSU at least has, has kind of solidified things moving forward. All right, let's move on to the FGCL corner. It is time for the FGCL player of the week. We're not going to play any mind games like the Oscars did this week. We're just going to pick a winner, and we're going to pick the right winner, not you know do anything screwy. I'm I'm mad uh, honestly about some of the awards that happened. And I, justice for Chadwick Boseman. Dang it! I literally didn't know that things were happening. So there's that. Although I did see. Chadwick Boseman's family said that he didn't get snubbed. So sure, so they're, they're what are they going to say? It. Are they going to be pissed? No, of course not. <laughs> there. What movie no. was he even was he nominated for? I don't. I don't Ma know Rainey's Black Bottom. It's on Netflix, based on a play. It's pretty good. He was huh. really great in it. It was. I'm yeah. sure he was. Yeah, he, he was, was awesome. Uh, it was. It was really annoying. But either way, we're not going to rearrange the order of the awards just for something that might not happen. No, we're going to present one award with six nominees, all very worthy. Shall we, Tom? Okay. Sounds good. This is how award shows should be done. Dang it! All right, let's start <laughs> things off with Kelsey Brown, Virginia Tech, seven of sixteen, two RBIs, a triple, three runs scored. Mm-hmm. Riley Ludlam Furman. Six of 18, six RBIs, a home run, three doubles, a walk, four strikeouts, five runs scored. Now we get into our, oh, we know you portion. This is the Glenn Close, Meryl Streep. Right. The, the, the Meryl Streep of the FGCL. <laughs> Mac Leonard, Illinois State, five for nine, seven RBIs, three homers, four walks, two strikeouts, five runs scored. In the circle, 12 innings pitched, seven hits, no runs, eight walks, seven strikeouts. Just just keeps doing her thing. Goodness gracious. What a beast. Devin Flaherty, <laughs> Florida State, five for 12, two walks, a strikeout, five runs scored. Haley Lee, Texas A&M. If, if Mac Leonard is the Meryl Streep, then Haley Lee is the Tom Hanks or Daniel Day-Lewis of this thing. <laughs> Six for 15. Seven RBIs, four homers, a walk, two strikeouts, four runs scored against Houston. Had another multi-home run game. I think that's like her fifth this year. I mean, it's ridiculous. And finally, Jensen Howell, Northwestern State, two for seven at the plate, an RBI, a home run, a walk, three strikeouts, a run scored in the circle, 13 innings, 13 hits, six runs, five earned, two walks, nine strikeouts. Why she is here. Game one against Sam Houston State was one for three with a home run. That home run, a solo shot in the bottom of the seventh to tie the game at three. It went to extras. And, uh, oh, by the way, Jensen Howell, the winning pitcher of that game that Northwestern State would win in nine. She went nine innings, seven hits, three runs, two earned, two walks, and eight strikeouts. So uh, there you go, Tom. Pick your top two. Wow, pitchers hitting. How about that? Um, <laughs> I am going to say, at the risk of, of repeating uh, what we've done earlier, I think my final two have to be Mac Leonard and Haley Lee. Wow, so so Merrill and Daniel Day. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll just do that. So, again, Mac Leonard doing it both in the circle and at the plate, and then uh, Haley Lee 
she I think she kind of gives the ben- she gets the benefit of the doubt to begin with because she's doing it in the SEC. Uh, so I think you, you kind of the stats that she gets even get get a little bit more elevated because of that. That's a, a heck of a performance by both of these. And I mean, all six were really, really good, obviously. But uh, I'll go with our two normals uh, of Lee and Mac Leonard. We say normal, but Mac Leonard has won three times. Haley Lee has not won since week two. Wow. So to spread the love, I'm going to give it to maybe quietly the best power hitter in the NCAA, Haley Lee. I mean, like she's top five in the country in home runs. Yeah. Where has her wow. publicity been? I mean, mm. where where did that go? I, Haley Lee is your winner. I think people are finally starting to realize how talented she is. It was great to see her get on the top 25 nomination list for USA Player of the Year. Well, and then what she has done, she's really elevated this Texas A&M offense to one that, you know, before the season, weren't really expecting a whole lot from them at all to one that you have to, you know, deal with now. I think a lot of credit to her, and, and she's been moving up and down the order as they're trying to find a way to spark the entire offense with her with her bat, and she's producing wherever they put her. That is the FGCL Player of the Week. Congratulations, Haley Lee. Now, Tom, what is that over there? Do you see it? It looks like the sign. Yes, I'm on my way. We'll get there eventually. We're on the base paths again, trying to steal second. When we come back, Jen Schroeder will be here. If anyone can throw us out, it's probably everyone, but in particular, Jen Schroeder. So it's kind of perfect. She is coming in to steal second with us. Looking forward to it. And I know we got, we got to talk to her about the video at the, at UCLA of her first Uh, pitch. Yes. Yes. And her adorable catcher catching gear for children coming out. How sweet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's coming up here on the out of the box podcast. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is time to steal second, as we always do on the show with a special guest. And this week, we have a favorite, sort of. I don't know. We kind of had a little falling out in March. It's okay, but it is the one and only Jen Schroeder from ESPN, Seven Innings podcast contributor. She is like rocking the world with the Rudy, the glove that took the softball world by storm. She is in the bubble. Uh, Let's see. I don't know. She is my main competition in the D1 Fantasy Softball League. And also Tom and I owe her stake from that game that happened in the Sweet 16. So lots of connections. Jen, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you guys so much for having me. What an introduction. That may be my favorite introduction on any show of all time. (laughs) I mean, come on. You guys have all those national championships in basketball. You can't let us have a, a one final four, but no. Alex Reese has this walk-off. Would have been a great, great all-time play, but then you just destroy us in overtime. 
How good was that game? And that Reese shot. Oh my God. That was insanity. Oh, we had, some of us were worried about being able to broadcast the next day. We were, we had screamed so much. That some of us is me. <laughs> I mean, I, I could barely talk. <laughs> were you guys in a hotel lobby all together with the softball team or with some yes. of the coaches? We were all watching it together, mass, socially distanced, but in, in the same room watching it. And it was a lot of fun uh, until the until the overtime. Yeah, um, we'll just move on from there. I do want to talk about D1 Fantasy Softball because, Jen, I am, first of all, so honored to even be in this. Thank you for the invite. You were the one that texted me, and I think I was like the seventh or eighth person to no, hop in. Not. Yeah, I was, I was a little late to the game. No, you were in the first round of invites. Okay. Well, that being said, it looks like you and I are on a collision course for the championship. Jinxing ourselves with this. I feel like we can't talk about it. Well, no. And I say that full knowing you or probably, and most likely me because of my track record and failing in playoffs are going to lose this week. But uh, I, I just am having a blast and I wish teams would actually pitch to Sammy Bunch. That's all I have to say. I was, I was telling you guys before we started taping that even Coach Murphy texted me yesterday about Sammy Bunch because they went to the same college, Northern Iowa, but she's a stud. You know what I love about fantasy softball, Gray, is I feel like I'm getting to know so many different players that I wouldn't necessarily watch if it weren't for D1 fantasy softball. So I think it's really cool, and I hope next year they find a way to incorporate all sorts of fans and that different fans can join in and create their own rosters because it really is cool. Yeah, and I hope you know there is an algorithm to do all the scoring because if we have a bunch of fans doing it, then I, I really don't want to be the one tracking everyone's scores. <laughs> you are not going to be the one doing that i will not allow that (laughs) (laughs) all right let's uh let's actually talk softball jen schroeder here as we steal second on the out of the box podcast jen the big series of the weekend was ucla washington i actually got to watch it somehow we get the pac-12 network at the house it was a lot of fun what are your main takeaways from ucla taking three of the four and two of the three in the games that count which again is still really stupid but what are your thoughts overall on what you saw this weekend in LA? Okay, I really have a lot of thoughts. And so this might take a little bit of time. So I hope that some of your uh, listeners are, are pack fans. Cause I know they're probably just wanting to skip over and get to the sec stuff, but the, these two teams have a chance to be your competition coming up at, you know, at the world series, hopefully not a super regional. I would think that this, these matchups would happen at the world series. Uh, I do not think Gabby Plain had her best stuff this weekend. Gabby Plain is one of the most talented pitchers when it comes to spin in the country. I don't think she had her best stuff. What people do not know is Rachel Garcia game two was uh, pitching at about 50%. She was injured on the base, base pass game one. So this was very interesting because Washington actually won that game. I'm not, I'm not giving UCLA any excuses because Megan Faramo started that game. And I personally, for those who didn't watch Megan Faramo started, what UCLA has been doing is they're having Rachel in the DP spot. And so they're able to make a really quick switch where if Megan gets into any trouble, you can sub in Rachel, she could get a few outs and then they're able to just switch back and make a defensive change. Uh, Well, if you watched on Saturday, that's not what happened. Rachel actually stayed in there a lot longer. Personally, I did not like, as a UCLA fan, as a softball fan, 
I did not like the pull of Megan early. I didn't like that at all. I think that as you get deeper and deeper into postseason, specifically UCLA has played 30 games. That's it. That's way low compared to everyone else around the country. Pitchers and teams need to know how to battle and how to win with maybe their number two pitcher. Megan's so good. We normally call him one A, one B, but she's truly UCLA's number two pitcher. You have to learn how to battle and how to win with that number two. And with the coaching staff making the decision to pull her immediately, it tells me that they don't really have belief in her yet. That scares me as a UCLA alumni for the postseason. My next surprise was that Gabby Plain did not start on Sunday when it came down to it. Apparently there was a little twinge in the bullpen. She was slated to start. She had some sort of tweak, I believe the word that they're using. There's not an injury, there's a tweak. Um, so UCLA, you know, dominantly handled that Sunday game and was able to take the series um, and will most likely win the pack. Uh, the pack is strong this year. The pack is very strong. So my question is, will they get three teams into the World Series? Do they have a chance to get four teams in? I don't think so. But some people are saying maybe. I don't know what you guys think about that. And I don't know what you thought of UCLA, Washington in general. I know you got to watch Tom. Were you able to watch? Do you get the Pac-12 network? I do not. I don't know what what wizardry and sorcery that uh, Gray has to be able to have it. But um, the question I had was about Washington. Uh, if there is a, it, we, you said a tweak. If we, we don't know what the extent of the injury is for for Gabby Plain, uh, but does Washington have enough with their number twos, or or if Gabby isn't at a hundred percent? Not maybe not to beat UCLA, but to you know beat top competition uh, without a one hundred percent Gabby playing. Uh, I think you. I think UW needs a ninety five percent Gabby playing. I'll even give her ninety. Like she's that good. Where she they she has like a ninety two percent Gabby playing. I still think that they get there. I think they get there. I don't know how deep they go. And early wins at the World Series are crucial. Yeah, that's that's something that you definitely learn too. As you've been there a few times, it's so important to not have to try to fight out of the losers bracket because it, it can, can get so tough. Having Alabama usually matches Oklahoma in the first round, so there's been times when Alabama's had to fight out, and that's what happened in 2019. But it's a it's a really tough thing, and if you especially if you're dealing if you're relying on one pitcher, it can be almost impossible. And the way the World Series is set up, and I don't know if a lot of fans realize this, I almost think it's tougher if you lose game two at the World Series. Because if you lose game one, you sit on Friday. If you win game one and game two, then you sit on Saturday. Well, if you win and lose, you keep playing all the way through. So I think losing that second game is the toughest draw at the World Series. Mm. Very interesting. One other thing I want to talk about with that series is UCLA's order because we saw a couple weeks ago Bubba Nichols went down. Uh, she was the leadoff predominantly. When she was out, initially it was Aaliyah Jordan in our group text. We were all very confused. This week it was Kinsley Washington. We all, I think, are kind of of the belief that it should be Bree Perez, and we're not really sure why it's not. What do you think is the solution for UCLA? Assuming hmm. Nichols is out for the rest of the year, which it sounds like is the case, maybe a comeback in the postseason, but certainly for the rest of the regular season. <laughs> this, uh, 
it's so hard because I can wear two hats, right? I can wear the analyst, the uh, politically correct hat, and then I can wear my UCLA Bruin bubble suit. And so my Bruin bubble suit wants to text someone and just say, can you please bat Brie at leadoff? And my analyst hat wants to sit and say, well, Kinsley did have the winning hit in the national championship game. Brie does really well in the two spot. Uh, if I were coaching the team, I would try Brie in the leadoff. I think that she's one of, if not the most underrated big time player in the country. I think she's the best shortstop in the country. She leads the team in home runs. She can bunt, she can slap. She is so versatile. And I think there's something about being fearful of the leadoff hitter yes. that just sets the tone for the lineup. And I love Kinsley Washington and she's extremely clutch, but Kinsley Washington is not as consistent as Brie Perez. And so that's why I would love to see Brie in that leadoff spot. And you mentioned the, the PAC 12 as a whole being so strong this year with so many world series contenders. You know, we, we definitely know about UCLA, Washington, who else do you think has a really good chance of making it to Oklahoma City from the pack? I, who everyone's going to talk about are the Arizonas, right? In the beginning of the year, Arizona was touted as a team that was going to be a shoe in at the World Series. We thought their offense was going to be like fireworks, and we've learned against top competition and not playing at home, they struggle to score runs. Seems like at home, they score a ton, but on the road, they're having some trouble. ASU is hot and cold, hot and cold, but boy, can they hit. And so in the postseason, you have to get a little lucky and you have to get some momentum. If ASU gets a little momentum, they're a scary team down the stretch. Within the same breath, I could see them getting upset by maybe a Big Ten team. You know, we're going to, I'm sure we're going to talk about this in a bit, but I can see them matching up in a regional or a super regional with a Big Ten team who hasn't had a lot of experience playing games this year because they've only played against one another what happens if a Michigan goes into an ASU I I don't know if that would necessarily be a matchup it seems like they may be too close in the in the rankings to, to for that to end up but is it in Minnesota is it a Northwestern you know it's going to be really interesting when we find out who's hosting and what the seeds are. I, I can't wait because I think more than ever beyond probably one and two, I think Oklahoma will be one and UCLA will be, be two beyond that. I think it's very unpredictable this year. I would say, what do you think about uh, Oregon? And then does anybody that, you know, that we haven't mentioned of those, you know, some of the, the, maybe the middle of the pack people in the pack, uh, do you think any of them would be able to have a, have a shot? I guess I should, I guess I should have mentioned Oregon. I guess. I should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, gosh, that's my bad. Um, I, I think that, oh, part of me wants, my pack, my pack hat wants to say Oregon makes it. And then my realistic hat thinks, I just don't know if they're there yet. I just really don't know if they're, they are. However, they've beaten UCLA multiple times. Those are big wins. There's obviously a little bit of a rivalry there. Um, and Brooke Giannis has been incredibly impressive. Uh, and I also do think this year more than ever, UCLA and Oklahoma have really set themselves apart as, as the top two, te two, two teams in the country. And then there's a group of about 10 teams that I feel like on any given day, depending on who's healthy, who's in the circle, and who has a timely hit, can beat each other. So that's why I think this postseason is going to be more interesting than any postseason we've experienced in a long time. 
Jen Schroeder joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. And Jen, maybe made more interesting because finally, after all of our prayers, we saw Oklahoma look mortal and lose a game, mind blown emoji, to Georgia in Athens. They're very much looking like they will sweep the doubleheader against Baylor, although the Bears did give them some trouble early in game one. All that being said, do we finally have a blueprint of how to beat Oklahoma? And second part to that question, how many teams do you think have the capability and talent to execute that blueprint? Because I think that list is maybe eight deep, maybe. I would, I would even cut that list down a bit. I mean, I would need to write each team down to really give you a number. I think you're right. Oklahoma did tell the world that they are mortal. Even if you watched the first few innings of this Baylor game today, uh, there was a chip in their confidence. There was a chip in their armor. Um, and I think that was noticeable. You know, Baylor, a team that's been in and out of the top 25, they're not a top 15 team in the country. And they were leading them and they were no hitting the Sooners in the fourth inning. I think today, Patty Gasso looked like an absolute genius all of a sudden putting Coleman in left field where all has been all year. And she had multiple plays at the plate, multiple amazing catches. And then starting Nicole Mendez, who has the grand slam to put him up for one today. Um, I do think, and this is a total unbiased opinion. I do think that UCLA can be Oklahoma. And the reason why I say that is because the success that the Bruins have had against Juarez, both when she was at ASU and at Oklahoma. I'm not saying UCLA is going to sweep OU. I don't think that can happen because OU's offense is so good. But I want to see that matchup. And personally and selfishly as a fan, I want to see a five-game matchup between OU and UCLA. I would love to see it. I, I hope that we as softball fans get that matchup because there's a chance we won't. There's a chance that those two teams won't make it to the finals. Yeah. If, if for the rest of us, if UCLA and Oklahoma could be on the other side of the bracket, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we're looking at the sec real quickly. And uh, you know, it, it's what we thought was going to be just a two team race in the sec kind of brought some more teams into it with the way things happened this past weekend with Missouri taking two or three from Arkansas. So uh, Alabama and Missouri are still in the race uh, to try to tra track down the Razorbacks and the, and Florida, who had kind of ran away with it to begin with. So they both came back to the pack. Who do you think has the overall step ahead in the conference? Hey, my question for you guys as SEC people, because when I played, well, firstly at UCLA, if you win the pack, we don't get rings. You only get a ring if you win a championship. Like you win the pack. Okay, cool. That doesn't mean you're going to win the World Series, right? Like the end goal is to win the World Series. It doesn't really matter if you win the pack at all. But I feel like there's this real big bragging rights in the SEC. Like you want to win the regular season SEC. It's important. Do you think that the winner of the SEC actually matters for seeding this year? No, for seeding, I think it. I think it matters for the teams. You know, we got rings in 2019. You get a ring for the SEC. It's a big deal. Um, I think part of that's because I think the SEC is probably deeper than the Pac-12, so uh, there's a little bit more of a fight for it. Even though it's only been Alabama and Florida who have won it since 20, 2008, but uh, it seems like it's a tougher road. Maybe that's why it's a bigger deal. But seeding wise, I could see. You know, we've looked these bracketologies like what Gray does. Arkansas could win the conference and be the third best seeded team in the conference. 
it's just crazy to me. It, I mean, and the same thing's happening in the ACC, guys. Uh, I think Clemson's leading and Florida State is ranked in the top five, right? It's the same thing. So it's just, it's a little confusing when you look at it as an, as an outsider. I get the bragging rights. I think it's cool to get a ring. I do. And, and other schools in the pack get rings. It's just a UCLA thing that we don't. Yeah. Well, I will throw in, I think that there is also precedent recently that the committee doesn't really give a, you know, what about conference championships, because we saw Alabama win the SEC by four games and beat Florida three times and be seated three spots below them. So I, I think that'll factor in as well. Even if Arkansas wins the conference, I am still firmly confident they will be below both Alabama and Florida in the seedings. I agree with that. I do agree with that. So who's going to win the SEC? I don't know. It's, it's coming down to a good race. And Missouri taking two games from Arkansas was sure interesting. Um, Autumn Storms, I, we saw her throw a little bit last night. I can't wait. When are we going to see Lexi Kilfoyle again, guys? That's what I want to see. When's she going to be back in the circle? We don't know. You, know, you, you literally know as much as we do, Gina. <laughs> it's like, I think people have this uh, – this thought that somehow we are in the know and that we are very low on the totem pole, I promise you. I was just trying to get the answers for your list. <laughs> so I thought I'd be the one to ask for them, for the sure. people. <laughs> All right, Jim, with that being said, Alabama, Missouri, they're in the mix. Alabama specifically is who I'm thinking of when I ask this question. Which is more likely this weekend? And just to be quite blunt, Alabama needs both to happen. But which is more likely, LSU in Baton Rouge takes two against Arkansas or Missouri in Columbia takes two against Florida? Which mm-hmm. is more likely? Whoa. I'm going to go LSU taking two against Arkansas is more likely. Although I have to tell you, Missouri can hit. And so it scares me that Florida is going to need to out hit and outscore them but I think two games is tough I think they'll take one from Florida I think taking two might be a little tough so LSU taking two from Arkansas is more likely I'm still not saying either are happening we would like for you to say both will happen <laughs> that that would because that would certainly help us how likely do you think the other thing that needs to happen for Alabama would be Alabama to win out. So that means Alabama has to sweep Georgia. What are the like, what is the likelihood of that happening in your opinion? I think that's more, I think that can happen more or that that's more likely to happen than the other two scenarios we are talking about. Right. Well, I mean, that's okay. That's interesting. I, you know, I'm always here for a fun Alabama sweep and I think it adds to the narrative kind of like what we were just talking about, you know, the conference standings, I personally do not think, correctly reflects the talent hierarchy of the sec i think you can have an entire separate conversation about which sec teams are capable of making runs to oklahoma city compared to what the standings look like for example i have more confidence in maybe even a tennessee with ashley rogers going to the world series than say an an old miss obviously who's ahead of tennessee in the standings so i'll ask you jen of the four Alabama, Missouri, Arkansas, and Florida, which of those teams do would you say you feel most confident about making it to OKC and maybe going on a run to challenge the one and two and you know maybe slip a third team in there just for fun? I think that Florida and Alabama are the two teams that really stick out to me. It scares me that Arkansas 
that their bats were very quiet in game one and two against Missouri. That scares me. The injuries that Autumn Storms has faced throughout her career scare me. And Mary Haft's inconsistency and the fact that it seems like she's gotten worse as the season's gone on. And I say that with so much respect because she's so talented and she's so good. For me with Arkansas, and this is someone whose little sister played there, right? I've seen a ton of Arkansas softball. I'm a huge Arkansas softball fan. There is a difference in the types of programs that have tradition and history, like Florida, like Alabama. You said that the only two teams to win the SEC since 2008 are Florida and Alabama. You can't teach that. That has to be created. And so that's something that Courtney Dyfel has done a fantastic job as someone who won the World Series in 2002. But her team has to figure that out for themselves. You can't be coached into that. You have to experience it. You have to do it. And so I'm hoping as an Arkansas fan, as someone whose sister played there, I'm hoping that they get there. But right now it seems to me that you can't teach that tradition that Florida and Alabama have. Jim, we mentioned earlier on in the interview talking about the uh, predetermined sites to be released this week. Um, how much do you think the fact that, you know, taking a look at a lot of the, um, the, the projected seeds in the NCAA tournament, uh, some of them are from states that are not going to allow 50% capacity, so that means they're not going to be a host. How much do you think it will affect some teams like, say, UCLA that's going to probably have to travel throughout the entire postseason? Well, you know what's confusing to me, guys, is that originally the NCAA came out with a statement saying that 16 predetermined sites were going to be announced. They originally said the, the week of the 26th. So that was two days ago. And then I had heard and we got word that 20 sites were going to be announced on the 28th, which is tomorrow, but not publicly. That 20 schools were going to be notified that they would potentially be a host. And apparently the reasoning of now going to 20 was that they didn't want to screw up the top 16 seeds. So that's very confusing to me because that would mean, I mean, the way I'm interpreting it, this is not someone telling me it, the way I'm interpreting it would mean that UCLA now does have a chance to host when originally when the rules came out and they said they were going to announce 16 predetermined sites. I thought there's no way someone like UCLA or Washington were going to get to host because of their state's laws right now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really confused with, you know, what the NCAA is doing. And if, if they're announcing these 20 sites, but not announcing the 16 until selection Sunday, why announce the 20 sites to start with? It, it's I, no different than a regular season. The, the only thing I can think would be that you are, the reason why they're doing predetermined sites to begin with is you don't want a team that finds that was kind of on the bubble of hosting finds out they're hosting and don't have the time to put a protocol in, in place. So, you know, maybe you are doing the top 20 and then take the top 16 of those, but you have to have 20 ready. And then also maybe some alternate sites in case, you know, something happens at a particular site. Maybe is the only thing I can think of, but yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you're going to have predetermined sites, just announce what those predetermined sites are. And then you did say, you know, when you, you mentioned when they announced, 50% capacity, that means you have to be able to have 50% capacity. And like you said, states like Washington and California are not going to allow that. So there's no way that UCLA or Washington can host. And I saw I saw today, actually, Coach Tarr, I'm, I'm sure in anticipation of these sites being announced, she had tweeted something that she's confused why they're 
they, you know, UW is allowed on an airplane, but that they're not allowed to have, I mean, you can go read the tweet, I'm paraphrasing, but pretty much that people aren't allowed to watch outdoor sports, but that they can be grouped on an airplane. And so I'm sure that there is a little motive there, I would assume, to try and, you know, see maybe her school, because I don't know who's making the rules. Is it the school? Is it the governor's? Uh, The way I'm understanding it is that it's UCLA's rule. It's not necessarily a Governor Newsom's rule. So I'll be interested to see if UCLA moves. The other thing about UCLA, which is different than um, somewhere like Washington is, you actually have to have a California ID. So that would mean, you know, for example, when Washington came to play, the girls who were from California, their parents could come, but girls who are not from California, their parents couldn't come. Same thing's happening right now. Julie Rodriguez is a senior on the team from New York. Her parents can't come. So as of right now, they can't come to senior day. Well, a lot of things have not made sense this whole now 13 months that we've been doing 15 days to to stop. Yeah, to to flatten the curve. Yeah. Well, Uh, sorry, flatten was the word. Flatten. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing that's really confusing about this is the point of the predetermined sites, like Tom said, was to give everybody a heads up. We're not giving anyone a heads up whatsoever if we're only releasing possibilities you know, possibly tomorrow as we record, maybe revealed to the public on Thursday, we'll, we'll do the emergency podcast, as we've said, when that happens. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, the NCAA is undermining the reasoning that they gave for doing this in the first place. It is, it is really frustrating. And I always try and put myself in another person's shoes, right? Like there's so much going on at the NCAA that we don't know that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. As a fan, it's really easy to throw stones and say, God, here you are screwing up again, right? Like, I mean, because it just, they keep screwing up. Uh, but I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, um, which is really big of me because I don't always do that with people. But I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe there is something with testing that they need to set up testing centers at each. You know, maybe they'll yeah. do it for those 20 schools because I do know that that was the reason why we didn't go to pods for softball was it would take too much time to test and that that was very important to the NCAA. Um, So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt there. Oh, my next question for you guys, I'm just taking over your podcast is, (laughs) do we think that there will be COVID implications at schools like UCLA? Cal's not going to make the world series, but let's just, or they're not going to make postseason, but um, Will COVID impact a team like UCLA in the postseason at all? In terms of what? In terms of the strict, like, because uh, their you know, rules are more whatnot. strict than anyone else's. If somebody, if they get three positive tests within not even just their team, team coaches, anyone who works, complete shutdown. Mm. So how well, would that? Could that affect? Could could we not see UCLA play in the postseason because of something like that? I, I think it, it's certainly a possibility. I think there's some one thing that I was thinking about earlier was, you know, we started off this season, you know, knowing we're in, we're in the era that we're in and that we're going to lose games, things, the games are going to be canceled. And I know there has been some, there hasn't been as many as I was expecting there to be in 2021, which has been a positive overall. And hopefully we're seeing the numbers fall. We're seeing people get vaccinated. We're seeing a lot of stuff. So hopefully uh, the things are, you know, great. Grace got vaccinated today, his second shot. So hopefully we're all, hopefully things will settle down enough to where that won't be an issue. Another thing I think will be interesting too is 
we saw so much of the uh, scrutiny on the what was provided for the men's basketball bubble as opposed to the women's basketball bubble. There was a lot of consternation about how things were done in the bubble of the volleyball tournament. Um, and we'll see how, when you compare what happens in Omaha to what happens in Oklahoma City, how that works out too. I, I think the NCAA hopefully has been shown that yes, people have camera phones and they will report things. And uh, we'll see what happens here as far as that goes too. I'm excited for the uh, TikToks that are going to come. And if anyone's going to do them good, guys, it's going to be Alabama. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would come up at some point. <laughs> Jen Schroeder joining us here as we steal second on the podcast. All right, Jen, I do want to talk about Michigan. Okay. We, we referenced it earlier. We referenced the Big Ten. I have said this, I think in the group chat, I have said this uh, many other times. I'll probably say it in a little bit when we talk about bracketology later on in the show. I think Michigan is the biggest wild card in this NCAA tournament. They have statistically the best pitching staff in the country, the best one-two punch. What does that mean? I don't know. Is it a product of them just playing a Big Ten schedule? Are they actually that good? We have no way of knowing. But I think Michigan is going to be so fascinating to watch in this tournament because, like you said, if they get the right draw, they could make a run in this postseason. I could not agree with you more. I'm going to go one step further and say not just Michigan is the biggest wild card. I think any Big Ten that gets in is a wild card because we have nothing to compare how good they are beyond them playing and beating up on one another. I think that's what makes it even tougher is that truly in the Big Ten, everybody is winning and losing games. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to gauge where if it were just Michigan and Minnesota and they were only kind of losing to one another and maybe Illinois snuck a win in, but there are teams like Maryland beating people, right? So mm -hmm. it's really hard to gauge how good any team in the Big Ten is beyond the fact that you're right, Gray, they have the best one-two punch in the entire country when you're talking about statistic ERA, you know, they really are. But will they be that good against someone like Oklahoma? You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I'm looking at it right now. The bowl records this year in football were so interesting to track after seeing conference only. We saw the SEC beat each other up all year long and then go six and two in the bowl games. We saw you know, the Pac-12 and the ACC go conference only and really struggle in the bowl games. More so the mm -hmm. ACC, they have more games, but it really could be either or for the Big Ten and softball here because we don't know what their league looks like compared to every other conference. And to compare that even more, Alabama had a generationally great offense football-wise this year, mm -hmm. and you could tell that 100%, it didn't matter who Alabama was playing, you knew their offense was great. It was going to translate when they got out of conference. Mm -hmm. But Michigan, I don't think their pitching staff is at that level, even though they're putting up the numbers that they are. Do you guys remember in the past when whoever won the, the gymnastics championship won the softball championship? It happened with Alabama, OU, UCLA, and I believe Florida. There was a run where it was whoever won the gymnastics championship won the softball championship. So didn't Michigan just win their very first NCAA gymnastics championship? Is that any foretelling of what's going to happen in the World Series for softball? Oh, my. <laughs> wow. I don't know. <laughs> Shro calling her shot. Here no, we go. I'm, not. I'm just saying, hey, wouldn't that be something? Wow. It definitely would be something. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but 
how upset are you, Jen? Do you think, or do you think some of these Big Ten coaches are that their leadership put them in this in this spot uh, to where they put them all behind an eight ball to even start off the season because they were the only Power Five conference. There was a couple of the mid majors that did it, but the only Power Five that went conference only, and it's just made it absolutely impossible to properly judge where they should go in the Cabo season. I can speak to this because I've actually had conversations with coaches and with players, specifically seniors who were just really sad, you know, seniors on a team like Indiana or Ohio state or Illinois. And they're texting asking Jen, how many big tens are going to get in? How many big 10 teams are going to get into the tournament? I don't have a clue. And so some of these schools who would, you know, more than likely probably compete in an NCAA tournament in their senior season, now may not even have the chance. And so I do know that they are upset, not just at their leadership, but at the whole situation, you know, just the fact that this is going to be how their careers end. And I think it is frustrating for a lot of student athletes and coaches. I mean, we, we saw it in football and we've seen it otherwise. It looked, it seemed as though the big 10, especially was looking for ways not to play instead of trying trying to find ways to play. Uh, and that's where I, I think the leadership of people in the SEC and the ACC uh, really pretty much saved collegiate sports this year. I could not agree with you anymore. Mm. You're right. That's a, that's a lot of heavy talk, and, and we certainly hope as many Big Ten teams that can get into the tournament do so, especially our beloved Hoosiers. We are unofficially an Indiana softball podcast. Go Hoosiers. Uh, but right. – we do want to end with some levity, don't we, Tom? Absolutely. Uh, the the video making the rounds, uh, going near viral on the Twitter, uh, the most adorable first pitch in the history of college softball thrown. Um, just t- tell us about uh, your catcher on that first pitch. I have to give all credit to Holly Rowe, actually. Okay, let me tell you guys a quick story. Is I thought I was texting our D1 softball group text asking for opinions on how I should do it. And I accidentally sent the text to my seven innings group pod te- group text. And Holly said, take two videos, you pitching and Rudy catching, like immediately sent this text back. I was like, oh, that's fantastic. And so I have to give all credit to Holly Rowe because she came up with it and it was so good. And I love that she had on my gear and she had her own glove, you know, named after her in front of her. And I just thought it was, I thought it was so cute and it was well-received at UCLA too. So it was cute. I think it was something really funny. And I love that Rudy was like smiling, you know, the ball's hitting her and she's smiling. I'm like, Oh God, I don't want you to play softball, (laughs) golf or play tennis or something. Like don't like this sport. (laughs) I I'm just curious when the baby line of catching gear is coming out when can we expect that can you imagine oh man has has kelly i already called it and, and got, got her got her unofficial visit set up you know what's funny is the other day probably a month ago she accidentally facetimed tony baldwin from georgia and i was like oh and I was thinking, you know, you've got access to all these coaches in my phone and Tony Baldwin's the one you picked. And we had texted each other almost identically at the same time, the same thought where he asked if she if she wanted to be a bulldog, if she was calling to commit. <laughs> wow. Going cross country. Well, like whichever, it. I think whichever nickname she can say first, that is where she's going. <laughs> Bruin, Bulldog. You know what, guys? This is terrible. Okay, she will, at the end of Oklahoma games, when they say boomer, sooner, she yells at the TV. She mm-hmm. responds mm-hmm. to the boomer. 
No, 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 no. I know. No. No. My you UCLA card hates that, but she does it. I'm like, oh, gosh. Uh, no, she'll grow out of that. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> it's just a phase. That's what they tell me. <laughs> she's getting her rebellious phase over with yeah. her. So it's, it's positive. <laughs> At least she's not saying fight on. So you got that. Oh, right. that would not. She'd be kicked out. Sleep on the curb, kid. <laughs> <laughs> these are all the rules that happen in the schroeder household i mean Very teaching true. everything and and running life right jen schroeder joining us here as we steal second on the out of the box podcast jen i i don't really have words for what we have all discussed today but this has been one of the more enjoyable interviews we've done and you're always the best so thanks for hopping on oh thanks for having me guys we talked about a lot so i hope you're liking because we went all over the softball country so that's jen schroeder tom always a fun chat with her always some illuminating information that arises when we all meet on the zoom or over the telephone and of course always great to hear her stories with the next great catcher in college softball rudy (laughs) absolutely yeah that was a lot of fun always great to talk with jen and you know, getting getting the overall lay of the land in college softball, she gives us that that West Coast viewpoint. So it's good to good to hear uh, another viewpoint as we get we can sometimes get SEC centric here. And you know, we're the Alabama radio guys. That happens. So I mean, we work in it. the SEC. Like, sorry, I mean, we're not gonna right. we're not gonna spend an entire show talking about the Big Ten. I've no. not seen a play of live mm. Big Ten softball all year long. Like, sorry, well, it, that's. Well, they start games at like seven in the morning. I don't know why that is. (laughs) I know that weather is sometimes an issue, but we don't have to start games at seven o'clock central time. Like, we just don't. The break of dawn and play is basically what's going on in some of these places. Well, we'll get to that later because when we come back, we are rounding third. The docket is updated. We've got the packet of sheets stats, numbers, bracketology is coming up next here on the Out of Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is time to round third. Tom, I have once again decided to put myself out there, letting it go. I am free to be accosted by the public, which happens sometimes, but no one's come after me for my bracketology picks. And maybe that's a sign that they're right. I don't know, but I guess we're going to try again this week. Yeah. Uh, the cancel mob has not come after you. So that's good. Good to know. Well, if you're a Virginia tech fan, they might this week. <laughs> uh, we'll see. All right. Are you ready to find out my top 16? Yes. Here we go. My updated bracketology. Now, remember, folks, and some people have asked me, this is not the full bracket. I don't have time. I'm sorry. Eric Lopez puts out a great bracketology every week. We've talked about ours and compared ours. I just don't have time to do the full bracket. I do the 16. So this is what we have. Number one, UCLA. Number two, Mm. Oklahoma. Number three, Florida. Number four, Alabama. Number five, Florida State. Six, Arkansas. Seven, Washington. Eight, Oklahoma State. Nine, Arizona State. Ten, Arizona. Eleven, Texas. Twelve, LSU. Thirteen, Oregon. Really dropping this week. Mm -hmm. Fourteen, Tennessee. Fifteen, Missouri. Sixteen, Clemson. Next up, Georgia, Duke, Kentucky, Virginia Tech went from 
13 to 20 on my Ooh. list this week. And also just there, Louisiana. That does mean some supers matchups for you. 116, UCLA Clemson. 8-9, Oklahoma State, Arizona State. 4-13, Alabama, Oregon. 5-12, Florida State, LSU, which, I mean, I feel like they're playing every other year. <laughs> Florida, Tennessee, the 3-14, so congrats to Brian Rice. 6-11, Arkansas <laughs> and Texas. 2-15, Oklahoma, Missouri. And 7-10, Washington, Arizona. So as usual, Tom, please let me have it. Pepper me with your questions. <laughs> I, like, I, I just know, yeah, Tennessee people would just be banging their head against the wall if they had to, if they were matched up with Florida super regional wise. So looking at uh, what what changed this week to have UCLA jump Oklahoma to be number one overall? Well, UCLA had some wins get better this week, and then now they're three and one against the RPI top ten. Oklahoma zero and zero Oklahoma nine and one against the RPI top 25 UCLA 11 and three. I think UCLA did enough to make their resume so much better overall over Oklahoma's that the eye test can't even trump that. And frankly, Oklahoma, you know, a lot of people watched that Georgia game. A lot of people saw that game. And a lot of people were watching this weekend when UCLA beat Washington. Somehow more people are figuring out how to watch on the Pac-12 network. So I don't know how, but yeah. And also one more thing that really sticks out, the average RPI of wins for UCLA is 69. The average for Oklahoma is 102. That is a huge, huge gap overall in resumes. I also got to watch more UCLA this week. I think right now, if they played, I think UCLA would win two out of three over Oklahoma. So because of all of that added together, I bumped UCLA up to the one spot. Do you think, I saw this past weekend, Arizona State had another series canceled by COVID. Do you think that some of these cancellations are going to start really affecting some of these Pac-12 teams? Maybe. It'll be interesting because I don't know their plan to make up some of those games and you know maybe that was something we should have asked jen that being said arizona state's resume is good enough right now to warrant it not dropping very much honestly the way i look at it tom i think one through seven are pretty secure ucla oklahoma florida alabama fsu arkansas washington I would be very surprised if somebody rises up and, and moves into that top seven. And it would be, it would take a lot for one of those top seven teams to, I think, drop out of that spot. So I feel like that group is pretty selective and pretty solidified. Everything behind that could change a lot. And as to what the games mean, I'm not sure. We'll see. The committee says they're watching all these games. The committee says RPI is not going to factor in a ton. If they are, I feel like Arizona State having that head-to-head over Arizona and maybe against Oregon this weekend, we'll see how it plays out. That could be enough to keep them in the upper 10 or 12 in the seedings. Mm-hmm. One, and it's not really just a question about the bracketology, but overall an interesting point is, you know, we're talking about the predetermined sites coming out. Uh, we're thinking Thursday, maybe, but sometime this week. And it was said by the NCAA that they're going to have 50% capacity uh, at all these regional sites. And if your state local municipality isn't allowing 50% capacity, 
you're probably you're not going to be hosting. You're not going to be hosting a regional site. So when you're looking at this top 16 right here, I see five, maybe six teams that'll be the seeded team and will not be hosting, including UCLA. So it'll be interesting to see where some of those teams are slotted and where you know some if it's if you're if you're looking at being a you know a two seed, who are you going to be hosting? Um, if it is one of those, you know, West Coast teams for the most part that are not going to be able to host. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And, you know, not even all two seeds. We could see a three seed Texas A&M host yeah. a regional. I mean, I am still very much in the camp that Davis Diamond is going to be in the mix. And I think I, and a, a Liberty may be a yeah. two or three seed that that has a very legitimate case to host because they have such a good facility. Now, I don't know about Virginia's mandate statewide about their population about what their capacities are going to be allowed but if they're allowed 50 percent, i would certainly think liberty is a a viable candidate yeah i really think and you know this could drop by the time people listen i will try and edit as fast as i can to make sure that doesn't happen but i think people are going to be really surprised to see how many top 16 seeds are not hosting because there are going to be a lot of pac-12 schools in that top 15 and sorry like they can't all host it just, it isn't viable. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. I noticed still you have, you have at the bottom here, uh, the top 16, Tennessee at 14, ahead of Missouri at 15. Um, is that think something you think will stand, stand up? Or do you think next week we're looking at Missouri moving up, uh, hopefully with some wins over Florida? You know, it's interesting, Tom. As I look at it, I kind of hate that I have, Tennessee over Missouri. I feel like that might've been a mistake by me, but I'm going to stick with it here because I think the reason I did that is Tennessee has the best win of those two teams, which is a game at Alabama. We will see though. I do think Missouri is going to move up as those numbers really matriculate more after playing Florida this weekend, after adding that third game against Arkansas, their RPI should move up. Right now, the biggest thing hindering them against Tennessee is the fact that Tennessee's RPI is 10, Missouri's RPI is 16. The committee has said they're not going to look at RPI that much, but even in years where they have looked at the RPI, it has been so close that we've only seen differences between maybe two or three positions. So Mm -hmm. six is a long way. I've got Tennessee lower than that RPI, but uh, I, I think that that'll be something that flips very soon, if not by the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and last thing, um, I know I remember last week I was very happy with Alabama's possible super regional opponent of uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, now it's uh, Oregon, uh, the four thirteen matchup. I'm personally not as excited about that as I was Virginia, although I do think ultimately Alabama would be able to beat Oregon um, with Montana Fouts, especially pitching like she is but what are, what are your thoughts about a possible crimson tide ducks matchup in the supers well oregon really just flew down the list that's a, a duck joke but, i see what you did <laughs> thank you they dropped like five spots in the rpi they lost some top 25 rpi wins and some top 50 rpi wins because some teams moved around in the rpi oregon i think is a really interesting team because If you beat them in game one, I would feel very confident that you would win the series because Brookianes has been so tough 
in game ones. She's beaten UCLA twice in game mm-hmm. ones, but the second time they've seen her hasn't gone super well for Oregon. So Oregon seems to me like the kind of team that if you don't beat them game one, you've got to kind of get a little lucky in games two and three. If you do, you're probably going to OKC. So I think it would be an interesting matchup, but a difficult one because Yanez is a power lefty and that's not something we have seen very much in the SEC and not something these Alabama batters have seen very much because most of the lefties that are in the conference right now are drop ball finesse pitchers. I mean, Yanez is rise ball power, attack the zone. And uh, I'm not sure that's a great matchup for the Crimson Tide offense. So, well, well, we'll see if things move around a little bit. I mean, if Oregon wants to sweep Arizona State, I would much rather play Arizona State than Oregon. <laughs> <sighs> it's a, we, didn't we just play Arizona State? That was regionals, but geez, Louise. Tom, time <sighs> is a flat circle, please. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. And so once again, Florida and Tennessee and Supers, has got that, both those teams are like, come on, somebody else, please. Oh, anybody. no. I, as I put this together, honestly, something in my mind is, all right, so which conference foe will Tennessee play? Because right. they play a tennis or they play an SEC team every year in supers. Yeah, I'm sure. Next time we talk with Brian Rice, he'll be very excited to discuss that. Yeah. So, anything else you'd like for me to touch on, or how do you feel about it? I, I feel I feel pretty good. It is it is kind of coming into shape. It, it was harder to do it a couple of weeks ago, but I think you know, you can kind of see what's happening here all the way around. So. I'm pretty happy with this. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes here after this week. Like I said, hopefully we'll see Missouri moving up some and maybe Florida dropping down a little bit. Uh, that's the most important thing. Big non-SEC games this week. We've got the battles tonight, Oklahoma and Baylor. They're playing two. Game one went to Oklahoma. G. Radoni had a no-hitter through three, and then it just, you know, it, it went away very quickly. This weekend, uh, only really three big things jumped out at me tom oklahoma state at texas ucf at ole miss and oregon at arizona state i mean most of the action this week and most of the eyes around the country will be on the sec for good reason yeah uh again you know the oklahoma state texas that's you know battle for second place in the big 12 ucf has had some big wins this year but also had some head scratching losses and we'll see what they do on the road against an Ole Miss team that has been a lot better than we were expecting this year. So I think that could be a really fun three-game series, if nothing else, uh, just kind of see where both those teams are at uh, a couple weekends before the regular season comes to a close. And um, that Oregon-Arizona State series in the Pac-12, really big just because, like what we talked about bracketology-wise, these two teams are both – yeah, they're, they're fighting for second in the Pac-12, but they're also fighting for positioning overall nationally. It's going to be really fun, but – Like I said, all eyes will be on the SEC. And uh, it's because there are some gigantic series this weekend that we will pick as we head home, Tom. I'm looking forward to it. I I feel a little attacked because uh, somebody got an overall record victory against me last weekend, and uh, somebody else is going to be going first in our pick. So let's see what happens. It only took me like seven weeks, but here we are. We finally... Finally, I won a week. That off the wall and uh, maybe a a small preview of what's to come next week with Tom's Hungry as we get ready to go to Athens. That'll be next as we head home here on the Out of the Box Podcast.
Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is time to head home. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, full show. We started at the plate. We talked about Bama softball as usual. Then we advanced to first and dropped all the Dark Knight quotes talking about the agent of chaos that is Missouri and Larissa Anderson wearing her purple suit, green hair, makeup everywhere, mischievously figuring out how to create the maddest SEC race down the stretch as she possibly can. She's walking away in a nurse's suit as the hospital's blowing up, <laughs> but all the stuff's happening, and uh, we would love for her to, to help us out a little bit more here this weekend. Then we stole second with Jen Schroeder. Always great to talk with Jen. And then we rounded third with Bracketology. Always good to put myself out there. Always fun knowing that it will not matter in about like three days. And then in about a week, it'll be so different from even three days before that, you know, I don't even know why we do the segment, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's why. Just because we, we like to see where we are right now and where it moves here in the next couple of weeks. Look at that perspective, Tom. Mm, yes. That will come up later on a, here in the uh, heading home segment. It's a fun thing to have. A fun thing to have. But we will begin as we head home with SEC series picks. I won the week. Pop off the, what are, what are the pool things with the confetti? I want those. I want 10 of them lined up down the hallway, everybody popping as I walk towards the door before I bow in front of the crowd. I think they're called confetti poppers. So good job. Yes, that's, that's what they are. And yeah, you got, you got one. I, I went out on a limb on a couple. Uh, I knew I had that, that leverage to do so because I have, and still do have a pretty big lead. So I was okay with it. Uh, so uh, we'll see if you can catch up here. Yes, we both got Tennessee two out of three, Texas A&M two out of three, Ole Miss two out of three. The one that I gained on, I went with the bold prediction of UCLA two out of three over Washington. You took the sweep. You would have been right if the third game counted and it was Mm. the second game that didn't, but neither here nor there. Here nor there, but Gabby Plain got her one. Uh, and that, that was pretty much all that all that they were able to get. And uh, I think that just kind of showed it. And again, we, we talked about it last week with, with Caleb Bro that um, Washington was kind of the last chance for someone to catch UCLA in the Pac-12. And they needed two really outstanding games from fr- from Gabby Plain to make that happen and just wasn't able to get it done. Yeah. But, you know, they got the one, which is all I right. needed. So mm-hmm. 19 for Tom, 15 for Gray. And now we begin. I will go first. You have the honors off the tee box. Wow. This is just like in golf. This doesn't happen very often. (laughs) Mississippi State at South Carolina is where Uh, we will start. (laughs) Why? Why do we have to start? Okay, just get it out of the way. All right, good idea. I'm going to go South Carolina two out of three. No analysis. I think South Carolina is just playing better softball right now. But I think Mississippi State will find a way to get that second SEC game by golly. South Carolina, two out of three. This is no longer a loser leaves town matchup because South Carolina has kind of established themselves as not last place. Uh, And I think they do that again here this weekend. I agree with you. I'll go 2-1 South Carolina. All right. This one is interesting. Kentucky at Texas A&M. The Enigmas versus a team that is still, you know, kind of reeling. I know they beat two out of three 
in the Mississippi State series, but uh, they lost a game to Mississippi State. So, (laughs) you know, these aren't two teams playing extremely well. I'm going to take Kentucky two out of three because of the two staffs. I think I do trust Kentucky's pitching more than A&M's. I don't trust either right now, honestly, but I do think Kentucky will find a way to win this series and help solidify the Kayla Kowalik for SEC Player of the Year narrative that is really starting to take shape in the last couple of weeks. And it's a tough one because it's hard to really know what's going on with either one of these teams. Uh, but I feel, and it's weird to think this, I feel a little bit more like I know what's happening at Texas A&M than I do at Kentucky. And I'm going to say being in College Station and bolstered by the second FGCL Player of the Week win for Haley Lee, I'm going to go the Aggies win two out of three. Interesting. All right, so our first disagreement. How about this one? Florida at Missouri. If you're an Alabama fan, you need Florida to lose twice. I don't know if A&M is going to be able to beat them in Gainesville next weekend. We've already talked about our concerns about the Aggies. I do think Missouri can win twice, though, and I'm going to try and will it into existence. Come on, Larissa. All right, here we go. He cackling upside down from that skyscraper as you win two games in Columbia against the Gators. I've got Missouri two out of three. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I'm going to try. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon to hope will it to happen as well. And I, it wouldn't be a major shock if Missouri was able to do it. It would be a no. surprise. But it, I think they're definitely capable of making it happen. You got to get to Lugo at least once. Um, and, you know, hope that pitch by committee. Susie Allstaff does, does her job too. And I think Missouri can make it happen. I'm going to go with the Tigers two out of three as well. I think the key is Lauren Krings. She pitched great last weekend against Arkansas. I think to me, she is the arm I would trust the most right now if I'm Missouri. How much do they trust her and do they use her? And how much is Florida prepared for her? Krings changed her pitching motion last week. And I got confirmation yeah. from our friends at Missouri like that they confirmed, yes, that that happened last week. So, you know, that's kind of tough to scout all of a sudden. You're looking at yeah. a completely different pitcher than you were a month ago. Yeah, hope, hopefully it pays dividends right here. I mean, I'd be here for it. Tennessee at Auburn. Speaking of here for it, just a series I would never want to attend. I'm no. taking Tennessee two out of three. I think, uh, I think it's very conceivable that Tennessee sweeps this series. I think if I'm Auburn, the way Ashley Rogers is pitching this year, you know, game three against Georgia notwithstanding, I consider going Penta low, low and trying to get that game two win with Shelby low against the others for Tennessee. I know coaches don't think like that. That's what I would think about because I, at this point you're Auburn and you're just trying to find conference wins wherever you can. So I do think Tennessee takes two out of three, but I think a Tennessee sweep is more likely than any other result this weekend. Is it possible for both teams to get swept? Is that I looked it up. No, it is uh, not. I'm okay. Sorry. All right. Uh, yeah. So that being the case, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go Tennessee two out of three. It, it's, you know, it's all about if Auburn can win that game too. Cause I, I, I agree. I think it's more likely Tennessee gets a sweep than Auburn wins the series two to one. Um, but you know, if you have, 
the the third game against Georgia by Tennessee gives me a, a minute of pause on it mm-hmm. because you know they could just be an all out war in game three and just crazy stuff happening. Uh, but uh, even in that case, I would take the Tennessee offense a little bit more over the Auburn offense. Uh, I'll, I'll need to see them have a really good weekend one more time before I buy into them being scary at all. Absolutely. Arkansas at LSU. If you're Alabama, if you're the rest of the conference, other than Florida, you're looking for two losses for Arkansas. As someone who just got his second shot today as we record, Mm. I am very excited. I feel great. Uh, Maybe a little dehydrated, which I had to go get some water during the break, Mm. but I feel good. Um, Not not even, yeah, not even as sore as I was after the first shot. We'll see how that goes tonight. Maybe I'll be editing all night long because I can't go to sleep. But either way, back to the series, Arkansas Mm -hmm. at LSU. Alabama needs Arkansas to lose twice. So, dang it, Arkansas is going to lose twice. LSU, two out of three. Now, I will say, of the two series, I feel much less confident about LSU taking two of three than – Missouri taking two of three from Florida, which if you had told me that in the preseason, I would have laughed at you. This mm-hmm. should have been an automatic series win. But with the way LSU was playing this year, I'm just not so sure. I don't think there will be an LSU sweep, but I do think the Tigers win two and three in the series, including on Monday night softball to take it two one. And I think, you know, the question mark is the health of autumn storms. Yeah. Um, You know, if if she's healthy and able to go, I think she could do to the LSU offense, what she did to the Alabama offense. Uh, But if she's not able to go, Mary half is looking much more beatable here recently. Um, It it, it becomes very dicey for the Razorbacks. Uh, I'm I'm with you. I'm going to try to jump on the bandwagon and will it to happen as well. I'll say LSU wins two out of three. Finally, for softball, there is a bonus pick at the end. Alabama at Georgia. I do, again, Tom, kind of wish that, yeah, not for Alabama's case, but, you know, in terms of just watching softball, if Georgia wants to win this series or at least win a game, I think they should throw Mary Wilson Avant in game two. You know, maybe game one, you throw cutting out there, game two and three, you go Avant, even though I am very anti-coaches, don't throw the same pitcher twice against the same opponent in the same in two days in a row. I feel like if Georgia wants to win a game, they've got to take advantage of game two because I'm not sure I trust the Bulldog bats to get to Montana Fouts twice. And Fouts is one of those pitchers that is better against teams the second time. We'll have that stat this weekend. And frankly, Tom, if Alabama wants to win the SEC, the shot is still pretty small. I'd say maybe a 25, 20% chance. But for that to happen, Alabama has to win out. So I'm predicting an Alabama sweep this weekend. I think game two is the key. If I'm Georgia, I'm throwing Avant games two and three, but coaches don't think like me. Probably for no. good reason. And uh, I'm going to take the Alabama sweep. I am too. I think a lot of it comes down to that game one. Cause I, as much as uh, you know, I understand what you're saying strategically. I don't see them doing anything other than throwing the truth in game one. Uh, so Avant against Fouts in, in game one and Alabama just has to find a way to get those hits, hopefully jumping out early. Um, that's something when Alabama's had success in Athens is something that they have done is score early in games. Um, and so I think that that would be something that you'll, you'll look for Alabama to do. Hopefully Bailey Hemphill will get a couple of pitches to hit 
take advantage of the small ball small ballpark in Athens, and uh, we might see the offense kind of get a little bit more back on track and hopefully healthy for Alabama here this weekend. So I'm going to go with the Crimson Tide, getting the sweep and keeping the hopes of a repeat SEC championship alive. Study your film. You know you're seeing Mary Wilson Avant. Just get ready. And something else that we've seen from Montana, I meant to make this uh, point earlier, but not only has she been better the second time she's seen seen teams, she does. she's done an extremely good job here recently on when there has been a bad inning, uh, then coming back and just absolutely shutting the door. Yes. She did it. You know, she gave up the three runs and then against Louisiana in game one and then retired the next six straight. Uh, and then when she came in for the save in game two, the three inning rule book save, she gave up a leadoff double and then retired nine straight batters. You know, something that we talked about in 2019 when Montana was leading Alabama to the third place national finish was when someone scored on her, she took it personally. Mm-hmm. It, it, she, she just got mad. And we're seeing that again. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I, I think that's what it, that is what's going to be very vital for her and for Alabama moving forward, regardless of what happens this weekend. You know, you're going to get punched every once in a while by the opponent. How do you respond to that? We talked about the response statistic offensively, but also what do you do at the circle for the rest of the time? And, and Montana Fouts is, is the best at it. Uh, after there's a, a, a tough inning, a run or two scores, what does she do after that? It's going to be really fun, but you know what else makes this weekend fun, Tom? We get to pull out the big hats and the mint juleps and all of the other, the I mean, other bourbon-esque drinks. I'm just going to say it. We'll drink bourbon at some point. We're both over 21. Tom, Lord by this. a wide margin, oh, we're able to Ouch. drink. And we will be drinking bourbon and talking Kentucky Derby this weekend because, Tom, it is the best two minutes in sports coming back. Yeah, doing it on the – actual date it's supposed to happen so i'm looking forward to brilliant so we're gonna pick the kentucky derby tom okay i have put a little thought into this we discussed it a bit during the break but i'm going with bob baffert i'm going with john velazquez i'm going with i think this is pronounced medina spirit it could be medina like the golf course i'm not sure i think this is the horse to pick 15 to 1 odds. John Velazquez just won the 2020 Kentucky Derby. He's won it three times. Bob Baffert tied for the most wins by any trainer in Kentucky Derby history. Medina Spirit, Medina Spirit. I don't care how you say it. I just know you're going to win it. Your Kentucky Derby victor this year. Tom, what do you have? Wow. Okay. Uh, you've got into this. I have just looked over the names and the, and the odds. <laughs> Uh, so that's as much thought as I put into it. I've seen where their, their post positions are. I would love my, my two favorite horses and I'm not going to pick either one to win. They're both 31 odds are the two at the end of the post number 19 soup and sandwich and number 20 bourbonic. I like both those names. I'm going to be rooting for both great. those. Great. That's awesome. Yes. That's a great name. So I'm looking, I'm going to root for both those horses, uh, but I don't think they're going to win. Uh, I am going to go. Someone who's somewhat a favorite, but not the overall favorite. I'm going to go with the five to one rock your world as your Kentucky Derby victor. Rock your world. Wow, Tom. From the 15 spot, which I think, I don't know how many are in the first gate. And when they have to do the auxiliary gate, I don't know if 15 gets you in the first gate or if you're in auxiliary, 
once once the race starts they all plunk together anyway so i don't know why they make such a big deal about it <laughs> the kentucky derby ladies and gentlemen that is this weekend may 1st post time 6 57 i assume that is eastern mm-hmm. but yeah that is, it'll be really fun we can't wait to watch our game on saturday should be well over by then if it's not we are in trouble right kentucky derby <laughs> day what gets better Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And NFL draft this weekend. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. So we'll see how many Bama players get taken in the first round, if they can uh, tie. I've seen projections where they tie the uh, overall record for most first-round picks. So I think that's possible. Is Matt Jones going to go number three? Where does uh, Waddle and Devontae Smith go? Does one of them get hooked up with uh, Tua again in, in Miami? So there, there's a lot of fun storylines dealing with that as well. It's going to be a great weekend in Athens. And all I hope, all I pray is that people don't freak out. But we know they will, Tom. And that is our Mm. transition to off the wall. I will let you go first if you're ready to go. Okay. Yeah. And like I said, I I was very pleased that uh, there's not too many off the wall comments after this past weekend. Uh, I think people understood Louisiana, a you know a good top 15 top 20 team and for the tide to be able to get those two wins i think that was that was really big i just think there's the i would say one there are two main things number one i wish there were as many positive comments after weekends like this as there are negative ones after there's a struggle weekend yeah there are the the habitual uh, offenders in off the wall that only come out when alabama loses and I just don't understand being that type of fan. I don't know why that would be how you'd want to go about your fandom or life in general of only being around when things aren't going swimmingly uh, and pointing it out as though we don't know it. Uh, so there's uh, there's that. So I, I just I wish we had some as much interaction in a positive matter as we do as a negative. But that's social media, so that's probably never going to happen. Um, and then their other case is I don't understand what people think the gain is for Alabama to not be truthful about an injury or be truthful about why things are happening. I, why would you not believe if Patrick Murphy says Lexi Kilfoyle can't pitch because of an injury, that doesn't necessarily mean that she can't hit that it's two totally different things. Uh, there's, I don't know why people think there's some sort of conspiracy of, you know, Kilfoyle not pitching for some reason, even though she's perfectly healthy. If she's healthy enough, she'd be pitching. I don't, yeah. I think that's pretty obvious that uh, there's no black helicopters or tinfoil hats around this. She's just the, it, at this time, at this point with the injury, what it is rest from pitching is what she needs. That doesn't mean she can't hit. That doesn't mean she can't have batting practice. Doesn't mean she can't hit a home run in a game and we can be happy about it and just hope and, and ready for her to come back when she's capable to pitch at a high level. Yeah, and also part of that, one, an official status has not been released for a couple reasons. One, I mean, Georgia listens to these podcasts. Mary Wilson Avant's mother followed me on Twitter. You know who her daughter is? Mary Wilson Avant, who's on the the Georgia team. And she can't lie. She'll tell Lou everything. So... Look, I mean... Lou's lose my Facebook friend. Yeah. Come on! I mean, we can't, you know, we can't be out here saying Lexi Kilfoyle will 100% be pitching on Friday because we don't know because why would we know? I mean, why would 
Patrick Murphy or the team tell anything to anyone. They want it to be a surprise. I referenced earlier how shocked I was to see Kilfoyle batting. It is very rare that we are caught off guard by some of the moves, but it was a real pleasant surprise to see her back in the mm-hmm. order. I wasn't expecting it. And if it surprised me, it definitely shocked Louisiana. I can bet you that. Right. But my point was that it wasn't, you know, Patrick Murphy didn't say Lexi Kilfoyle wasn't going to be able to pitch against Florida, but she, but he didn't say that she definitely was pitching either. Right. Exactly. There's, there's gamesman, there's a difference between gamesmanship and lying and Alabama, the coaching staff isn't going to lie. So I don't understand why that there's just this thought in some people's minds that there's some sort of conspiracy to keep her from pitching when she's obviously the second best pitcher on the team. And if she was able to pitch, she'd be pitching. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. I agree. And, you know, it, it all just comes full circle. There are a, a couple things I want to get to. One, uh, the, the thing that we talked about last week uh, with with certain things popping up on social media, again, um, I offered my help. No help was presented. So that door is closed. Sorry. You missed your chance. You know, there are many media people who have great relationships with us. James Benedetto, who's got a job in South Carolina, I think in Charleston right now, he would text me many times be like, hey, what's up with this? And I'd like, you know, whatever I knew I could say, I would tell him. Yeah, Mm -hmm. here's the deal. We had a great relationship. We went out for drinks many times after games just to hang out because we were also friends. Like we're not, you know, not hiding anything from you people. But if you want to know, just ask. And if you don't want to know, then don't ask. And apparently some of these people just don't want to know. So that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'll shout out all the great people at Tide 100.9 who, uh, you know, I go on a lot of on title talk almost every week talking with James Ludeman and Thomas Paradiso, who uh, a lot of those guys also are producers when we're local only on the praise. And, um, you know, they do a great job. They send a, a guy out there or, or a gal out there almost every game. to to cover and report on it um so i just you know again if if you're going to be a you know a beat reporter that's going to do game recaps i suggest coming to a game there that is allowed it's not hard yeah just shoot an email to nate he'll answer all right that's off the wall (laughs) we've got gear We've got koozies. We've got shirts. They're going to be from my car to Tom's car. We're bringing them to Athens. It will be lit. It will be fun. We will give away stuff. And don't we have an announcement about an addition to Tom's Hungry next week? Oh, we do. Yes. Right, Tom. It's time for a little little sneak peek at Mm -hmm. next week. So, Tom's hungry will return because we're going on the road and you know, what, what do we do on the road? We eat, we will have a separate car, but we will also be located downtown with our hotel. So the options are a plenty for us for lunching and dinnering and also breakfasting. We have to remember to do that this weekend. Remember breakfast one in, uh, in Fayetteville. So we got to be ready to do that again. Part of the, one of the positives, one of the only ones of being bubble adjacent and not bu- and completely in the bubble is that we don't have to eat all that healthy stuff that the, that the team is eating. We get to go out and eat wherever we want. Absolutely. But we're also adding a new half segment, like a, like a spinoff to the segment, but it's yes. not going to get its own podcast. So it'll be in this podcast. We might even have a special guest for it. I don't know. We'll see. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And mm-hmm. uh, it is called Nate's Thirsty Tom. Yes. Because, uh, you know, I, again, we talked about it. I'll probably have some bourbon here this weekend, uh, but I'm not, I don't 
drink a lot of the the specialized beers that that you and Nate uh, partake in a lot of. So we're going to bring in the expert uh, as Athens is known as one of the great drinking towns of the uh, Southeast and maybe the world. Uh, so we will <laughs> we will certainly partake in some of that. And uh, Nate will come in next week and and give us his thoughts on some of the places and particular drinks that we have this weekend in Athens. Looking so, forward to it. Nate's thirsty. He has come on the podcast one time. That was like seven years ago, it feels like, at the SEC tournament in 2019. And now mm-hmm. SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan will be returning this week. Listener discretion advised, I guess. I don't know. We're going to be talking about alcohol. So, like, don't listen with your children. But if you know, well, if you don't want them to be drinking yet, if, if right. they're like 20, but go to Georgia, you know, some advice for next year. <laughs> well, uh, having been there the year that they tried to do the blackout in 2008 and it did not go well, I have a feeling that there has been some drinking done in Athens before. Uh, so just to be on the periphery of that and seeing it happen, uh, that'll be a lot of fun this weekend. I mean, I know we've done it because I still have those videos from 2018. So that's always fun. That is where? for the HBO <laughs> version of Out of the Box. Uh, all of a sudden, where did all these people come from? And ew, is that a 70-year-old man? What is he doing? Let's go upstairs. <laughs> Again, I'm just glad I wasn't the oldest guy there. <laughs> it's a win for Tom. so nate's thirsty next week we will have gear this weekend in athens and tom we will be posting pictures videos links from our twitters where can the people find you on the bird app yeah yeah find me there at t canterbury r-t-r-c-a-n-t-e-r-b-u-r-y uh talking bama softball bama baseball a little bit of wrestling all sorts of stuff happening on the twitter t canterbury r-t-r I am at Gray, G-R-A-Y, underscore Robertson, Gray, underscore Robertson, or follow me at out-of-the-box, underscore pod. And again, DMs are open for most of you, but a lot of you uh, have decided not to take advantage. So uh, that door has been closed. Thank you to our friend, Jen Schroeder, for joining the show today. Tom, always good to hear from Jen. And uh, I can't wait to see her soon. I mean, I, I know we're still kind of working out NCAA tournament and SEC tournament stuff. ESPN doesn't really know what they're doing. But a lot of us have very high hopes that we will be able to all reunite in just a couple weeks in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, in Tuscaloosa. And then, again, bigger hopes. Alabama needs to get there. But uh, hopefully we can all convene at a steakhouse uh, cattlemen's in uh, in oklahoma city because we owe some brewing steaks yeah so <sighs> if, if alabama doesn't make the world series do we still have to go is that what's i mean i'm okay with it do you think we can get a credential if <laughs> yeah well yeah but i don't think certain <laughs> certain crimson ties force network people will be paying for it if, if alabama's not there so hmm. uh so we'll then see. this is an open plea if you're out there and you need radio people and alabama's not there we right. we will go we have to right. go buy steak anyway. So right, yeah. That being said, I I certainly think and uh, and will predict Alabama will be there. Uh, Let me but, tell you, uh, it's much yeah. easier for us if Alabama is there. Yes, <laughs> that will just make it a lot easier for everybody all the way around. And if Alabama does make it there, uh, speaking of the Crimson Tides Force Network, you can hear it just like you can all three games here this weekend. Uh, on the Crimson Tides Force Network here in Tuscaloosa, 93.3 FM. The Praise, you can catch it 
on uh, praise933.com, live streamed, also the Praise app, and we're also available, tune in and SiriusXM. So just uh, search on those apps for uh, Alabama softball. You can find us. It should be a fun series. We're both hoping for a sweep and a beatdown, like what will probably happen in the apparently just announced fight between Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. So Alabama needs to be Floyd and Georgia needs to be Logan. And you know what? Let's just go to work, Tom. It'll be a fun weekend all the way around. Let's do it. Let's pull out the Stone Cold Sunner like Kevin Owens did against Logan Paul at WrestleMania this year. <laughs> sure. A thing that happened. <laughs> Absolutely. You saw it. I don't know if you noticed it, but it happened. I, I totally did not. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to go uh, like, subscribe, leave a review. Tell us what you like and what you don't like. I hope you enjoyed the episode time. It was a lot of fun recording this one. Yeah, I had, I had a good time. Let's, let's do it again next week. Why don't we? We might as well. And of course, stay <laughs> tuned because we will do an emergency podcast wherever we are, depending on the time and what day it is and wherever we are on the road when those predetermined sites will come down it'll probably be about a 15 20 minute podcast but it will be reacting to the news about which 20 will be nominees for predetermined sites tom i'm very intrigued i think we'll be very surprised about some of the schools not on that list Oh, yeah. When when we're talking about committees and NCAA and everything else, there's going to be some surprises. We know that much. Yep. So for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Join us this weekend, Alabama at Georgia, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all on the Crimson Tide Sports Network on all the ways that Tom just said. Very easy to find. Just click, just search, just do the Google, or just sit in your car and turn it to 93.3 if you're in that, like, 10-mile spot. <laughs> Right, just, just go to RollTide.com, schedule page. It's got the link, live stats, live video, live audio. It's all there. Just push the button. We are agents of chaos. It's time to get weird. Let's see how it goes as we continue to roll along in the SEC softball season. Postseason's coming up, and it's going to get really strange. Stick with us. It's going to be a lot of fun to track. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.